When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Yes, happy Thursday to you, and we're back, season nine, season nine, keep saying that, season nine, episode nine. Um, thanks for all the messages. How brilliant was Gary last week? I- I'd totally forgotten about the drinking the candle story until somebody put it on, uh, our friend uh, Georgina put it on um, on Twitter. I don't know how I could forget that. Um the new people coming to it, did you go back and listen to part one and then jump straight into part two? Or did you give it a bit of a break? Let me know. It'd be interesting to see how they both, uh, both parts sort of fit together and if it sort of works as one uh, full long episode. Uh, let me know. So moving on from a chef that looks after six restaurants to another chef that looks after one, but it's also where he lives. So Eddie Shepherd, let me give you some backstory. So a couple of years ago, a friend of mine got me a birthday card, and in the birthday card I had all the, the lovely things that you would write somebody in a card. Um, but they also said, oh, by the way, one of your presents is that I've managed to get as a table at Eddie Shepherd's restaurant, The Wall Garden, and it's uh, a big old vegetarian tasting menu. But it's us and six other people. Because in his kitchen, he can only fit like eight people in. I think that's right. Apologies, Eddie, if I've got that wrong, if you're listening. But I think it's around eight people. Um, and it's just him. He's one-man band. He's prepping. He's cooking. He's presenting the dish. He's delivering it to the table. And it was up there with one of the greatest meals I've had out. It was such a fantastic experience. So I really wanted to sit down and talk with him uh, about how this started, why it started, why hasn't he got a restaurant, um, about, you know, maintaining control of, of what he does. Anyway, we managed to sit down quite a long time after that meal and... It was nothing short of fantastic. 
He's a lovely guy to sit down and talk to. As you're going to hear, he's very calm and very relaxed for for a chef. I mean, you can't imagine um, how stressful that is when you're in a working kitchen. But it's great. And also, uh, he cooked me some lunch and it was incredible. As you'll hear. Oh, big shout out to who, somebody who gets multiple mentions, I think, on this episode, which is uh, Becky Morris, who is the ceramicist. If you look on uh, the Instagram, on our Instagram, on Eddie's Instagram, or Rebecca Morris Ceramics, her Instagram feed, you'll see a lot of uh, her her stuff there. It's beautifully designed uh, ceramics and she's brilliant. Her Instagram's really lovely uh, and very calming if you just want to watch uh, the potter's wheel it's really nice really good stuff so big shout out to becky morris who features heavily in this episode because she's great uh and from one person who's great to another this is season nine episode nine of the two shot podcast with the wonderful eddie shepherd enjoy and i shall see you at the end eddie how are you I'm good, thanks. How are good. you? I'm all right, man. I mean, I, a lot of people um, who know me know that apart from, you know, apart from the acting aside, m- my fascination with people is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. But sure. when I'm not doing this and I'm not reading a book, yeah, <laughs> which is another thing that I love to do when I have the time, if I'm not looking after my little boy, I like to be in the kitchen. Yeah. Because I'm constantly fascinated with how things work. And I've always loved restaurants and chefs. And I remember during the first lockdown, I used to find the most intricate <laughs> recipe that I go, right, well, if it involves like 40 cloves of garlic, then that's, that, that's an hour yeah. of, of, of my day. <laughs> um, but we're here now, not only in your house, mm-hmm. but this is your restaurant as well. Yeah. So I think we need to explain to people because the last time well the first time that we met mm-hmm. you cooked for me not not just me there was a few other people here <laughs> and how many courses did you cook was it so probably uh it's usually 12 to 14 mm. something in that range like yeah it's a lovely way of cooking in your own space and sort of um yeah all, for me it's all the all my favorite bits of what i used to love about restaurants but without a ton of the headaches. <laughs> well, I was going to say, does does having a restaurant in your own home, and it's just you. Yeah. Like, I, I remember when I, I sat down and I was thinking, oh, well, obviously you'll have somebody uh, cleaning <laughs> down and washing up or bringing things out, but yeah. it doesn't work like that, does it? So can you just sort of explain mm-hmm. why the pressure is off? Because I, I, maybe I was thinking the pressure might be more. Sure. So it... Um... So I guess so the way I'm cooking is just just me in the in the kitchen. It is it's pretty hardcore because of that in terms of like prep and and how you manage to do service and talking to the guests as well. But once you have all your sort of systems in place, like the the great thing is I know exactly where everything is up to at all times, you know. So if I go to look for um like the cured mushrooms that I use or something if they're not there it's because I haven't made them you know it's like no one no one says oh that's definitely done or it's and just things like that give you so much uh control of the whole process and where you're up to sure. and, and creative freedom as well that it's yeah it's a really lovely way of cooking it's yeah 
So there's nobody to blame, is there? Uh, well, only me to blame, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's go back. How did it mm. come about? Because obviously you don't just go, right, I'm going to start up a restaurant in my own mm-hmm. house. Let's go back to when cooking was introduced to you. Was it from an early age? Um, not really. I mean, like my, my parents and my grandma especially, like like cooked and cooked from fresh, but it was not a like a hobby side of thing you know it was it was they i mean (laughs) i don't want to throw them under the bus here either my mum i'll forgive you yeah they're great cooks but it wasn't like it wasn't something that was a passion in the family or anything you know it was um they they cook lovely meals from fresh but we weren't going out to restaurants particularly things like that um so it wasn't until i was at university and was working in kitchens kind of to pay my way through my degree that I sort of fell in love with, maybe even fell in love with kitchens more than cooking to start with. You because know. of what? Because of the atmosphere or the camaraderie? Or... Yeah, but both of those things, yeah. the sort of the the kind of subculture of it as well, the fact it's all, it's its own little world, it's a bit aside from everything else. And um, yeah, the energy and that sort of, that got me really hooked. And I'd been, at the time I was doing quite an academic degree as well as in philosophy and then so to then go into this environment that was like completely different from from that you know mm. so suddenly very like physical and energy driven rather than kind of contemplative and confusing and um, and yeah that that got me really pretty much completely hooked and and led to sort of about 15 years I was in restaurants sort of up and down the country before I started well, I sort of got to the point that a lot of chefs get to where you would think now is my time to to do my own thing. Now is the point where it, it sort of makes sense for me to open something or start a project. And I didn't totally know that what that was going to be. And so initially this started as, well, I'll, I'll try doing this. I'll sort of, I'll, um, I'll have people into my space. I'll do these dinners. I'll test out the ideas that I'm interested in. And then kind of, like I think I've been going about six months into that when I was and sort of developing it more and it was getting more ambitious and going like, you know, more courses are getting introduced and stuff that I got to the point where I was like, that this is, I don't think I need to do something else. Like this is, this is everything that I really want out of cooking. And, yeah. and rather than it being at first, I sort of thought I still had in my head the idea that it's like, Oh, it's like a sort of, um, like it's secondary to a restaurant, like it's an imitation of that experience. And then actually the more you lean into it being something different and something where rather than it being, say, a downside that you don't have a front of house person serving people, well, the the flip side of that is that I get to chat to everyone mm. and can kind of like talk directly about stuff that I find is interesting. You know, sometimes maybe more than people want. No, but... no, no, it's something that you're really good at. Because oh, good. Some, you know, because when... Because I remember a few years ago for my birthday and we went to Long Clume in, oh, yeah, in Carmel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the head chef coming out and explaining the meal to you. Sure. It's the servers coming up and going, here we have this and this and this, enjoy it. And you go, yeah. you come and talk directly to, like, how many people is it? Is it eight or? Yeah, eight, eight normally. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice number to kind of, it's small enough that you can... 
you can sort of get to know each table. Mm. You can cut, you can have a bit of time with everyone. No, you really chat. do. Cause I remember, um, cause you're so, you've got so much passion when you come and explain what everybody's going to eat next. And you, uh, you always go, if you've got any questions, look, I'm here. Yeah. Just come and, talk. <laughs> and inevitably, obviously it's me. I did have loads of questions. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. Though. Like it, I think it works a bit like, um, it works a bit like it would, I guess, with um audiences and stuff as well like mm. kind of the more the more i get back from people the more i can i can give them you know i think when people come with questions or they're interested in engage in engaging like the more that happens the more the more we can kind of go into depth on stuff the better i think it is for the atmosphere and almost always if someone asks a question you know someone else in the room wants to know that same well, thing ex- too, exactly you know? but also it sparks it sparks a conversation mm, doesn't yeah, it yeah and it's it may be because it is such an intimate experience yeah and yeah. you're with groups of other people and you've <laughs> yeah, all never yeah. met before and you're in your you're in your kitchen and yeah. you're eating so some people might feel slightly shy but if somebody asks a question then they go, oh, maybe I can ask my question. Then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But just going back to when you were starting off in kitchens, mm. as, you know, a bit like acting, when you start off, you're stood at the back carrying a spear or you've got one line. Yeah, or very, very much like kitchens. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, isn't, it, isn't it? Because you're starting off right at the bottom. Yes. Inevitably, yeah. you're um, on the pot wash. Yeah, yeah, completely. That that was my... Actually, I was thinking about this earlier because... When you sort of when you say it out loud, it sounds like I had quite um quite a romantic introduction to kitchens in that my my first job would have been in this castle in Scotland because I was studying in Stirling. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I tell you. <laughs> and I mean, like the job itself was obviously you know it's what KPing is like. You know, it's just you're just there in a dark, damp pot wash all day, but then you'd come out and you'd be stood in this like yeah this beautiful castle on the top of this hill and um but yes that that is that's the start point for most people in kitchens is pretty thankless like pretty mucky physically hard work and yeah there's a lot of that at the start yeah, I, I but mean, it's I... got to be done on it because otherwise if there's nothing to eat off it's your it's your fault. oh man yeah <laughs> if if you're ever you know if you're in a busy restaurant and the kp doesn't show up or is sick or the pot wash breaks or something like that you realize how much that is the hub of like of things and you know suddenly you've got chefs piling in there trying to deal with it it really makes you realize someone like it's a really undervalued job because someone good at that and keeping on top of stuff it is it, it might seem like from the outside i guess it seems like the lowest skilled job in the kitchen and, and stuff but it is by no means not skilled even just to be doing that no i remember when i was um working in a very bustling cafe in uh, it was in st anne's which is oh yeah near blackpool and uh before i was on the pot wash i remember one of the guys showed me how to wash up properly right yeah he said don't ever put those knives in there you put your knives in there put hands in there you've got hands cut that's it you can't do your job and you're out and we're fucked (laughs) yeah um, and it's just, it's just about, it's a machine and it, you're just churning it out. It's like being on a, on a checkout. You've just got yeah. to keep up on it. And you know, yeah, it does. I mean, it's terribly long hours as well. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely is. And, but there's a sort of weird, again, I remember at the time finding a degree of, I mean, it's easy to say this now, I'm not doing it anymore, but a degree of satisfaction in it and a sort of sense of, I don't know, I, it really, 
it was one of those first things in the kitchen that captured me this sense that you you could go in there was like there was a really definite aim like and a really definite part that you were playing within that team Mm. so even if it was like not glamorous at all you still were sort of you know you felt important in that role and going from going from sort of studying and everything being especially philosophy where there's like there's not really any you know well maybe this is arguable there's not really any right answer to anything you never quite know if you've really sort of achieved something but then you know you knew in a restaurant kitchen like you knew when you were you knew when you were done you knew when you had like completed a really busy service and that buzz of adrenaline and everyone had kind of got through it to the end and yes so after after kpm what is Mm. what is or what was your next step because then you you, obviously you're given more responsibility yeah yeah so what happened to me i mean i I wonder if this happens as much anymore it probably still does Mm. but um it's what what happened to a lot of chefs of kind of my generation i think where you perhaps start in a role like that then one day one of the chefs doesn't come in for some reason and someone's like, okay, you, you're you on. You've got to step up. <laughs> yeah, you're coming into the kitchen. That's, Which, like, that's like understudying in the theatre. Right, right, like, right. And suddenly being thrown up. Suddenly being thrown He hasn't turned up or he's sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's, got, he's got COVID, you're on. <laughs> would that be like, would that be terrifying? Or would that be the thing you'd look forward to yeah, kind of having your chance? It, um, it depends. Depends how prepped up you are. Sure. <laughs> very early on in my second job, I was um, understudying in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Right, right. Regent's Park, open air theatre. It was a lovely venue. It was a gorgeous job. And you're doing like the summer season and everybody comes and has their picnics. Then they come and see a a Shakespeare or two. And um, I was understudying for Demetrius. Uh I was playing one of the mechanicals. And I, this guy was a machine. He was solid. He ain't never going off. There's yeah. no, and I was young and stupid. I don't need to learn it. He is never going to go off. Well, there was one night. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I don't think Chris is coming in. I mean, he's stuck. He's not going to be a Craig, you're going to go on. I went, well, the fear. Yeah. Eddie, the fear. I, just, I was... It wouldn't have been any good. I was frantically looking at the text going, sure. yeah, I can... I, I, no, there was no way I could have done it. And from that moment on, I mean, I never understood it again. But I thought if I do need to understudy, my God, I will do my homework. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that sounds like... <clears throat> at least, you know, at least with something like the kitchens and stuff, like, you're hidden away, right? Like, so there's a, like... God, like, I can't imagine... I yeah, still, but, yeah, but what's on the plate isn't hidden away, is it? It's true, but then, <clears throat> especially when you're starting out, there should be, in theory, if everything's working properly, there should be other people that are going to, like, check that stuff and support, before it goes yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, I mean, still now, if I have, like, anxiety dreams, it's always about, it's things like, like your understudy thing, it's like, you're in a restaurant, maybe a restaurant I used to work in, and they're like, oh, yeah, so we've changed the menu, and uh, we're ready for the menu. <laughs> like, that's my... But that, even even that, my worst sort of anxiety dream, you're still hidden away. <laughs> kind of, you're not up there in front of yeah. people. That's, that's the, the, the same sort of actor's anxiety dream. Yeah. Of just, you're walking on stage, and you're going, I have no idea what I'm <laughs> talking about. I don't know this environment. I don't know this play. Yeah. And there's thousands of people in front of me waiting you wake up in a cold sweat terrifying (laughs) so did you did you move around kitchens sort of learning 
different skills and deciding what you wanted to do because obviously mm. some people um it's pastry pastry is their thing mm-hmm. yeah or you know butchery is their thing but i suppose you've got to kind of do it all i mean I, obviously we're going to take meat out of the equation at some point yes. and i'm just going to yeah. work out sure, when that sure. was well so sort of so that was a factor early on that i was i had i had gone vegetarian whilst i was doing my whilst i was studying and um that sort of had coincided with almost exactly really with actually starting as a chef in the kitchen. Like I I was already vegetarian, I think when I was working as a KP and then they kind of got me into the kitchen, but they they knew I was veggie. They were just like, but I, I must've had some aptitude or they, that, you know, I was, I was good at at least the KPing job. So I think at that point, no one in the kitchen worried about that. They were like, yeah, we're just a safe pair of hands is what we need. Um, which again is kind of is maybe really fortuitous in in retrospect because it would have been quite hard I think to just rock up at a restaurant in Scotland somewhere and say I've got no experience and I'm vegetarian <laughs> please yeah. can I come and work in your kitchen yeah um, but that yeah they were really I mean largely and my experience from then onwards was that actually most of the time in kitchens even back sort of fifteen years ago when the plant based stuff wasn't as big people did not care about that if you could get your job done that was what mattered to people um but it did sort of slightly dictate what kitchens i went to afterwards although the the first few kitchens i worked in were cooking with meat and fish and stuff um and are you all right with because i don't i don't obviously i don't know mm. the reasons why you just turn vegetarian but are sure. you all right with handling meat and fish or is that something that you find yeah, I certainly was like, especially starting out. I, I mean, I, I like to be honest. A lot of the jobs you would do with it, I don't think anyone would find super pleasant, like deveining shrimp and stuff like this. But um, that's well, yeah, it's not fun <laughs> to, to, to make money. Before I left Lancashire to London, I uh, was working as an apprentice butcher. Right, right, right. I, I, there was some jobs there that I found particularly difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. And I and I eat pretty much everything <laughs> yeah but, yeah but still for me it's and and sometimes the smells were quite overpowering yeah sure well that's i i mean again it's a bit it's sort of hard to know because now at the i mean I, I don't i can't imagine being in that situation now but at the time i was quite good at just segmenting it in my mind and was like this is this is one of the work jobs like it's and and most of what i was doing really in those early kitchens anyways you were cooking you know pieces of fish or meat to order if you were dealing with them so a lot of that was it's not really to do with tasting stuff as you're cooking it's more to do with your timings and and things like that and um so that that the first couple of restaurants I was in, I was doing things like that, but I would gravitate then in those restaurants towards pastry and towards that sort of stuff. Cause you were just, I also kind of as much as anything, the ingredients that you're working with, but also I think that, I mean, you sort of see it on the menu now still, that sort of suits the way I think about things and look at things. I, I quite like the precision of, of that stuff. I quite yeah. like small, delicate, things and um all things in test tubes yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i like the yeah i like the the slightly unusual as well yeah when it comes to especially with presentation and stuff that that came a lot later but it became like quite an important part to me this sort of the aesthetics of food as well yeah i mean it's very beautiful oh thank when, you. when this little morsel of food mm. is delivered and the taste and you just think 
I mean, you look at something and you see like three words of what the components <laughs> yeah, yeah. are of this dish, and you go, "I can't believe that that, that is that." Or oh, good, it is. Yeah. It is incredible. But I suppose presentation is something that you're constantly working on and building on. Yeah, I mean, it always kind of for me at least it always comes last because you know the, the fundamental things. I mean, fundamentally, everything's got to be delicious, and especially especially actually one of the real upsides of the way that I work now, the fact that I'm, everyone can see me in the kitchen whilst I'm cooking and then, and I'm going to serve everything to everyone means that there is, that really strips away any, um, anything superfluous because I'm going to, I'm going to put the food right down in front of you. So if it is not, if I'm not confident that it's a hundred percent delicious, then you're going to be you know, I'm going to be stood there confronted by watching everyone eat everything. You know, if there was any kind of um, Emperor's New Clothes stuff about it, you're you're stood there and, and visually seeing it and, and everyone can glance up at you in the kitchen. So it's it's super important to me that everything is really focused on how delicious it can be. Yeah. And then, but then I always think, you know, after that point, the, you know, when especially some of the effort that goes into things, like when when you've put that much work in, why would you not then push that extra sort of 10% to try and then make something visually interesting or maybe make make people engage with something in an interesting way as well because if you're having say 12 courses you know there's there's that can easily become you know you could get six seven courses in and if everything's served in kind of the same way because sort of maybe even if not at the time but afterwards in your memory it all sort of starts to blur together a little bit and you can like okay everything was delicious but I kind of couldn't necessarily pick what one dish from the next dish and a way of kind of breaking that and resetting people a little bit is to have people interact with something in a in a different way so the the little the little thing we have in the glass straw or the, you know, the one that you just suck down yeah, yeah oh my yeah, god yeah. and it's such a shock but it's a delightful shock as well oh, it just good. hits your mouth and hits the back of the yeah. throat and it tastes incredible so that I, I mean, I could do that in a different in a different way. You know, I could just give you a little tiny glass with something like that in. But but that point of the menu moving from savory to sweet by by having you've got these very refreshing flavors of mint and chamomile and raspberry. But but also having you interact with this in a way that you know most people won't have had something. No, not at all. I mean, it's, like it, lo- it looks fun. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, it looks like dangerous. It looks like a mint glow stick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's. And it, it's a sort of mental reset that as much as, as anything else. And it gets people like, like, okay, we're kind of into like acts two or three of, of this. And um, that stuff I think is, I get it. It's one of the really enjoyable things about feeling like you're across the whole menu is that you can start to think of it in, in terms of that, not just like, okay, I have, these are the three dishes I prep and send out. You know, you get a real overview of like, how how does that flow and how do you want to kind of, how do you want people to experience the evening as a as a whole? Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting a bit. Into no, the, no, no, no. This is amazing. Um, so, Eddie, do you think when you were taking holidays uh, in Europe and around the world and working mm. in restaurants that the UK at that point was sort of playing catch up to certain pockets of the rest of the world in regards to pushing culinary boundaries forward and, and sort of maybe breaking taboos, if that's not too dramatic? Yeah, I think. Again, it's a little bit, I don't know if I would have had a rounded enough knowledge and, and view to sort of to, to know at that time. But I think, I think like the, the fat duck definitely did, did 
wonders for putting the UK at at that kind of cutting edge. And then, but I think, yeah, people were looking towards France initially and then Spain was a, was such a big part of the sort of this, the new sort of avant-garde movement in food. Uh, and then the 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 big nordic food movement that's oh, that something was, that that was huge yeah. for a while i mean we still i guess see that in it, it less directly now and all of these movements kind of leave their mark on what on, on cuisine afterwards but especially for the uk i think the nordic thing was was massive because we've we've got kind of quite similar climate so you know it's all well and good like when exciting stuff's happening in spain you're like oh that looks so cool and they're doing this thing with a, a tomato well you know you're not you're not necessarily you're not going to get a great like a tomato like you would in spain here yeah, in the, the northwest te- <laughs> the te- taste is completely different yeah. whenever oh i long to go on holiday but when, <laughs> when when you do and you go i'm having this tomato in spain mm. or in italy and it tastes yeah like a tomato not like uh, watery nothing yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that we get over here <laughs> yeah that's it and and to try and mimic that stuff over here is just you know it, you're on you're really up against it if you're trying to use those sort of mediterranean ingredients and and uh, but then you you know this explosion in nordic food and and suddenly this sort of exploration of of what you could do with things that would grow in regions like ours and and looking at ingredients that were maybe a bit forgotten and the introduction of fermentation and stuff is is which none of which is a a huge part of what i do but all of all of this stuff has an influence on you so all of all of these movements have become sort of absorbed into what i think most most chefs you know working in the uk now would have uh or in these kind of tasting menu restaurants and stuff, that you'll see influences from all of these things across their, their menus. Yeah, yeah, and you do, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a phase where I think we're kind of past this now, but there was a period of time where everything was on like an old earthenware plate and kind of dropped so it looked like it had been scattered and had some <laughs> foraged uh, ingredients. Not, none of which is bad in itself, but no. except that if that's if that's everything that you see or if it's done without like real thought and intention then of course like anything it's you know it just becomes you know co- copying what else is happening elsewhere but instead of yeah. pushing things forward yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or putting your own spin or your yeah. own take on it yeah which we do have now you know now we have people doing really interesting stuff and um yeah which is which is cool and being here in the northwest it's great to have like you know we're not far from from stockport where i grew up yeah having like where the light gets in there yeah it's like i, I mean which you know we talk about pushing yeah just for and do they have like they have a garden like on yeah the roof, don't they? they do yeah so so me and sam uh who owns where the light gets in went weirdly went to school together in stockport right. like he was the year year above me so i've got i've got some nice sort of childhood memories of us talking about music and stuff together and we worked in this really crappy off license together when we were younger as well and just knowing sam sam was always like really interested in things and super charismatic and really enthusiastic and stuff so i'm not surprised at all that he's done something so successful and interesting but but growing up in stockport you know someone telling you there'd be this really like really fascinating groundbreaking restaurant there and where the garden is on the top of the mersey way shopping center like it's just <laughs> all of it so i mean that's it makes it so cool though as well that you 
because that that completely says then oh you can do you can do something interesting anywhere you know if you can have yeah. a garden on the top of the Merseyway shopping center yeah. you can really you if you have the the will and the sort of the the desire to do it you can do something cool with whatever you've got you know? well i mean you know just to mirror it with acting and certainly mm. younger students that i talk to who you know couldn't possibly afford to live in london i was like you don't sure. have to you don't have to go down there yeah. and, you know the last two years have proved that you can just be anywhere and, yeah and and hopefully try and graft and, and work and play your trade is there a version oh, like you know because one of the things that the internet enabled a lot for chefs was like doing pop-ups and things like this which you know again it would happen in the past but became much easier to sort of you know with instagram and and online ticketing things suddenly you could set up right i'm gonna do a pop-up i'm gonna get the the word out to people you know it's sort of an equivalent of that at all with like acting and stuff are people able to mobilize on a like a more personal scale or or it depends i don't know i'm still um i have a quite a love-hate relationship with social media sure anyway but i mean whenever i mean i tend to use it quite a lot if i'm promoting a show yeah yeah because also basically whoever you work for like you to do it yeah and it's it's not they don't tell you to do it, but they imply that would be a very nice thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, And it's kind of no skin off my nose sure. if I go, oh, look, Doctor Who's on tonight. Yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah, great if yeah. you could watch it. I think yeah. it's dead good, but, you know, no drama if you don't. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but I don't want to talk about um, the pandemic because this is a getaway from that. Sure. But <laughs> mm. I'm aware, certainly in my industry, how it affected mm many many people and i'm aware how it affected certain friends who i know that run restaurants yes and who have staff yeah yeah. and uh they've you know and suppliers and all that Mm. so with you not having quote unquote a restaurant yes and no staff uh what was the impact for you so it was I suppose personally and and as and as a business, if that's not too, too yeah, no, I'm, I'm, um, it was mixed. I think like it was for an awful lot of people. I certainly was not the worst hit by everything, but also, and I didn't have some of the dilemmas that friends had uh, with restaurants. Um, so not having any staff, I didn't have to think. God, how am I gonna, you know, especially. At, at the very early stages before it was clear what might happen with things like furlough, you know, people were wondering, am I going to have to let staff go and stuff? And I, I was very grateful not to have to, you know, make horrible decisions like that. Uh, the, the downside of this is because of the, because of the way that I was set up, I sort of fell through the gaps of the government support. So I there was just nothing there to, um, to act as a buffer for me. Yeah. But, being small i could quick i could i changed to doing takeaway so at first i did i did takeaway sort of three days of the week and then one day of the week i would drive around and drop loaves off for people could like nominate someone on instagram like if they were nhs frontline or isolating because they were vulnerable and and i would go and drop off some some food for them and that was i mean that was lovely for me in that period of time because it made me feel like I was doing something useful. Although, you know, and wasn't also that useful. being creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it kept me busy, kept me active. And, um, you know, that was... And then 
I mean, it didn't take very long until fantastic people like Mary Ellen, who runs the, the, the creameries and eat well. Yeah. Like how quickly she set up this this charity to feed people and to use up stock and that to get chefs. That seemed to happen like, like uh, overnight. And then it incredible. just really flew and took off, didn't it? Everybody yeah. was grafting and helping. Yeah, I mean, that is, it is staggering still to me, like how, how she managed to set that up. And I mean, she is incredible. Like, you know, she is one of my favorite people in the world and does, you know, she'll, she does not get enough credit for how nuts that is that she did all this stuff. And um but yeah, it was definitely, I mean, it was, it was brutal across the board, I think, for the hospitality industry, um, you know, and, and we are still seeing some of that now. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I, I'm very lucky in that I have uh, enough of a following that people were really keen to help out. People wanted to get takeaways and stuff. Um, people that I had six months worth of bookings, which is bit terrifying because people pay in, a, in advance for the meals they come and have here so i at first i was like am i am i gonna have to refund everyone that's booked in i was one of those people oh wait yes, yeah, yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. took over a year yeah. to come to yeah remember. absolutely yeah you'd have been in like you probably should have been coming in like march or april 2020 right yes. or something yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so that was but what i mean what was incredible was the the feeling of support that i got from from my guests and stuff was was massive and so virtually everyone like 95 percent of people said no please keep our booking we really would still want to come we'll just we'll shift it into the future um which again is, is such a incredibly privileged position to be in to know like that you've got that that support and even when i had cancellations and things sort of this time last year as restrictions kept changing people were so keen to come that I could I could quite quickly fill those which I know has not been the case for uh every restaurant and yeah so I definitely I certainly didn't have a an easy time of it but I definitely didn't have the hardest time of it either and it's you know I I particularly feel for my sort of colleagues with restaurants that had to like had to face just a level of stress that must have been just horrible you know to to think how am i going to support my staff how am i going to um keep paying rent on the restaurant and stuff it's yeah it's you know really really awful stuff to have to yeah of course face up to yeah now you don't have a restaurant in a a a lovely little suburb of manchester (laughs) or in town because if you do Mm. as um excuse me as a punter you walk past there and mm-hmm. you go, oh, that looks nice, or that looks full. So that's already yeah. free advertising for the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. How do you advertise? Because <laughs> you don't walk past your house. No. We're, we're, it's it's almost a, a nice little secret. So, yeah. Was there any time, what were your sort of worries about doing everything from home? Or, or was there a point where you thought... I might go down the road of opening my own place. Yeah. I mean, at first I did sort of think that when I started doing this, I, I think I did think, well, uh, I will, I'll do this for a bit. I'll sort of figure out my ideas. I didn't really know what I was going to do, but, but still in my head was, you know, from being from the early days of being in restaurants, I thought my ambition would be to have my own restaurant mm. at some point. And then, and then were you thinking about using this more of like a test kitchen? Yeah, that that was sort of in my head at the start. I think was I'll I'll try stuff out. I'll see what 
works. I'd I'd already done. I'd always uh, often sort of self generated stuff had worked quite well for me. So I'd I'd done some like self published digital cookbooks and um, things like this. So I I was kind of d- doing little self generated things was in my felt like it was sort of in my wheelhouse yeah um but yeah initially i was not thinking of this as a permanent thing and and at the start it was still a you know it was a challenge to get people to understand what you're doing and and get the word out a little bit um but then yeah i think i think at sort of a year in i was at the point where there was enough requests and and demand for for people to come that i sort of didn't have to worry about that really anymore um do you think word of mouth was a key mm, factor in that as that, well? that i think was the biggest thing like even though even with all the social media stuff that you can do these days and and you know i, I paste food pictures and stuff on online and, and things v- like very that. nice food pictures oh, too thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, it, um yeah no the biggest thing i think was people coming and then they would tell their friends like you should you should go and check this out um which is is really I can't cool describe thing. it to you. You just have to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, and I I get a, loads of that now. Still, I get messages from people like coming through saying, oh, "I really want to book in." So and so, like my mate's been here. They said, you know, I, I should I should come and um, and that's particularly lovely, especially when when people are here and I'm chatting with them. If it's because they've been, you know, someone has has really enthused about it and 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 told them to go, that feels you know it feels nice to know that things can work that way without without necessarily the social media side of things and it's and it's this direct you know it's this this personal recommendation from someone which i don't undervalue because you know to say to someone i love this and i think you'll love it too you are you're kind of putting yourself out there a bit like you know if they then if you said that about a film or something to a friend and they watched it and were like, I don't know what you're on about. It was terrible. Why did you send me to this thing? You know, it's, it's, there's a sort of, um, there's a, yeah, there's almost an element of risk in recommending something, especially like really heavily recommending something to a friend. But also uh, the flip side of that is, and it's cliche, but you can't buy that publicity. No, no. Yeah. Which is, is lovely. Yeah. It's incredible because someone's, passing it on and they've put their investment into it yeah and they're going right you, you, this is this is for you yeah well that that might be uh I, I wonder if that's like that's one of the nice things about about working this way is it's almost the antithesis of like you know big restaurant pr openings and stuff where they're like come and see this cool thing and yeah. like you know it's it's the total opposite end of the scale in terms of like I mean, there's no PR and there's like, and there's no, um, you're not inviting all and... the people that will talk to the people who they have to talk to yeah, yeah. to get word out <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in your kitchen. Yeah. Which is, is, I mean, it's quite nice to know you can do stuff still without that these days, you know, you can, I mean, even, even now I'm still, even though I have this, like this nice, I feel like I have this, uh, this sort of well of support and people interested in coming and stuff it's still sort of fairly under the radar in terms of like pr and articles and things like that but again that's kind of nice to know you can still yeah, you can do your thing it's kind of cool though as well yeah, let's have yeah, I mean, yeah. you've got a sort of Let, yeah that's what i'm gonna cling to yeah, <laughs> yeah. now how do you deal with critics because when critics go to a restaurant am i right in saying that usually they book under a pseudonym 
Yeah, well, I haven't had much in the way of. I mean, that's that's one of the things I would love at some point would be to get one of the big national critics here. I mean, I say get them here, like I, I could, I wouldn't get them here. It'd be lovely if one of them decided to visit. But um, uh, so I haven't had much on that scale of things. I've had um, sort of local journalists and stuff come, and, and people from like a lot of Manchester, sort of like you know what's on online stuff. Um, yeah, but and, that's still keeping it within more or less the bubble of the Northwest. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, do you remember a, a couple of months ago when uh, Jay Rayner went to Erst? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And put it in the Observer on a yeah. Sunday and it just blew, yeah, blew yeah. up. That, that's people, I, you know, it's so nice seeing places like that as well get, get that kind of recognition because there there's a ton of great restaurants up here, in, oh, including yeah. people like them. And there's, there's, there's loads that I feel, I mean, the Northwest in general can kind of go into the radar of what's going on. So it's, it's great to see stuff like really getting shouted about. And, and it feels like, feels to me at least like there is like, there's a scene up here for this stuff that feels like there's a bunch of places with kind of similar ish ideals, like really, you know, trying to do interesting stuff, really committed to how delicious it is. And, it's like a lot of the chefs from like the restaurants all, all sort of know each other. So you sometimes, you, you know, you'll go to stuff and you will, you'll, you'll know a load of people there. They'll, I don't know, there'll be a wine event or something. You'll go and you'll see like chefs from all the different restaurants and they're all like hanging out. And so, like, it's, it's quite lovely to feel like we've got that now in the Northwest. I don't know if that was there so much before maybe it was and i just was not <laughs> part of it but, um, do you get to go out not as much as i would like i mean partly partly this past two years has just been obviously everything's been closed and then when it hasn't been i've been sort of pedaling furiously to catch back up and then um, so what what i would do in the past is sort of try maybe like twice a year try and go to something like that felt like a big like a big experience for me like somewhere with a with a star or two or um in the past me and my partner went across to Noma and went um I mean that was yeah incredible everything have you have you been no it's been somewhere I've wanted to go for many years but I know I feel like I would walk in there and go oh yeah I feel like I've been here before because I've (laughs) I've read and watched so many documentaries about that place and a, a few friends of mine have been and obviously and rubbing my nose in it uh, i mean it 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 was yeah i mean that was incredible that's somewhere that again you know for somewhere to live up to the level of hype that places like that have and yeah. then you get there and it still blows you away is like that's pretty special and it's so things like that i will try to do you know that that still feels like a big special one-off for me you know but, even but though it's the, a work i think place. restaurants like that are extra mm. special and you yeah. ha- i always have to go if it is a special time, yeah. if it's a birthday, if it's an anniversary, if it's you know, something to celebrate, because you don't eat like that all the time. No. You don't no. have 12, 14 courses of little morsels of deliciousness all the time. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Sometimes you're just having a piece of fish or a stew, yeah, especially yeah, when absolutely. we're in winter. It's like, I want something that's comforting. I want mashed potato. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, completely. And those those experiences... I mean, things like that for me will then stay with me the rest of my life, pretty much. The one that one that particularly springs to mind for that is um, 
there's a restaurant called Fresh in the Wirral. Right. Um, so this had a huge influence on me, really, because it, it was, um, I think it might have been the first restaurant that I went to that had a Michelin star. And it's, in fact, the more I talk about it, the more you'll see the influence on me. Right, right okay. So one guy in the kitchen on his own doing eight to ten sort of covers a night, you know, in not in a setup like mine, but not a million miles away, but it is a, you know, it's a proper restaurant and he has front of house staff, but... But how many covers are we talking? So eight eight to ten covers. Right, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and just uh, Mark in the in the kitchen cooking michelin star food for for as a tasting menu for people each night and when me and my partner went there it was just blew me away so inventive really i get creative artistic food and to know that was like it was such a key piece of the puzzle for me going for that meal and then being like right so this this guy on his own in the kitchen can do this incredible you know meal that i'll remember for for the rest of my life um it just i don't know again it's like unlocking something where you're like oh wow i didn't know that was a possibility that oh, it's a thing it like can that. be done yeah, yeah 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 which is i mean that is another one that because he's so small it's, it's very very hard to get in but if you like i can't recommend it highly enough it's super special and unique and something else in the northwest that's like a real Find. gem wow yeah, yeah. When um, has things not gone to plan in front of audiences? Because I'm always interested in uh, yeah. how you sort of pick yourself up when mm. it, you're so naked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or does yeah. that all come with um, preparation? I mean, Well, I'm trying to think if I've had anything that's been like a real nightmare during service. Nothing springs to mind. I think... I think like kind of, I mean, ideally I've, in theory, I kind of organize as much of the error out of things as, as possible yeah. beforehand. Like little things, it more tends to be things that are sort of slightly out of your control and probably less to do with the food side of things. Like, like, um, I mean, this is not a particularly interesting example, but the other day the light bulb went in the, in the bathroom down here for the guests and stuff. But cause it's just me, like I've got to find another light bulb and replace it, but in, during service yeah it's like it's not a nightmare and it's not like but it's something you probably wouldn't you know it's a slight inconvenience when you're in the middle of yeah i don't think simon rogan's doing that in long clean right i don't think he's nipping out he's got loads of people to change his light bulbs yeah (laughs) when you are eating out and not necessarily um in any sort of starred establishment Mm. Can you switch off and just enjoy the food, or are you constantly thinking, "Oh, that would be nice if I took that element"? Or are you constantly being creative? I'm very much. I don't tend to be analytical. I don't think, or not consciously. Certainly, I mean, I guess, I guess there's always like the fact that it's the, the lens that you see the world through. Like, I'm sure if you watch something on telly, you can enjoy it, but it must also you must also occasionally be like oh, they've set that shot up like this or something. Or... Sometimes I find it difficult to switch really? off. Yeah. Um, especially if it's being filmed in a city that I have knowledge about. Sure. I mean, you know, they're turning a corner and then all of a sudden they're turning... Well, no, 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 no. Because if yeah. you walk down that street and yeah. you turn left, you don't come onto that junction. Sure. So that's you've taken me out of it now, and that's annoyed me. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm looking, or I'm, I'm looking at parts of continuity. 
Yeah, yeah. And he's drinking a drink in one scene, and then it cuts to the other person, and it cuts back. Oh, he's got a, he's got a full pint, and he only had like a third of a glass. Sure. Yeah. I can, yeah. I can. I guess. I guess my equivalent of that would be. Like, I mean, I, I love being cooked for. Like, so I'm not anal- analytical in the sense of being like, I'm not judgmental about food when I go out. I'm just like, I'm basically thrilled to be out and that someone's yeah. cooking for me. Like, and, and I would always, like, my approach to someone cooking for me would be that I, I want to have the most sort of generous mental attitude towards it possible. Like, I'm, I'm not looking for faults in things. I'm looking for, like, uh, you know, enjoying it. And, yeah. and, and what people have done that I think is, that's really good and and you often come away from good meals as well being like wow that's so cool like oh, i don't know maybe i should be doing more of that stuff and of course oh, you, you sort of mentally reset from that but. yeah i mean i find it cool i'm totally inspired yeah by it. not that i'm gonna rush into the kitchen and try it something out but i'm just going oh i'm constantly going, how did he do that how did they do yeah. that how did she do that because i I can't imagine those flavors going together and yet they do in that way with that texture. Well, I get it. It can be just so cool. Like seeing people, I mean, even outside of it, like anytime really you see someone do something they're really good at, like I gives you this boost of creative energy coming out of it. Right. Cause you're just like, wow, it's great to go and experience something where someone's just really doing their thing really well. Like it's, that's really inspiring and energizing. And then um, the, the one thing that I, I, do do a bit like your continuity stuff that that like that can take me out of an experience is if i can see the kitchen or the staff in general like if um if i feel like a place like the food can be great but if the staff look like they're not being treated great or they're being overwhelmed or they're like you know if i heard shouting in a kitchen stuff like that would really pull me out because i just think there's just absolutely no place for that it's just a you know and the idea that someone could be having an unpleasant time like whilst they're creating this experience for you that would completely pull me out of something and be you know and i hope the industry is getting tons better for that stuff and and my friends with restaurants are not those sorts of people so i know that it's like it, it doesn't have to be like that but that that's the thing where if i felt like uh this looks like somewhere you wouldn't want to work or wouldn't want to be. And it's so, it's weird that, I mean, people are more and more aware of this these days, but it's still odd to me that, um, you know, we've had things like, uh, maybe this is a terrible analogy, but you know, like you would expect your eggs to be free range and stuff like this. These, you know, like there's, there's minimum standards you would expect in terms of produce, but weirdly uh, not like treatment of staff and stuff. Yeah. Like, so you know you could go to a great a great restaurant and um but if the staff are being bullied in the kitchen like well in my mind then that is not a great restaurant that is a failed restaurant i mean it was something that i wanted to come on to anyway because when you were hopping about and working in lots Mm. of different restaurants did you see that because sometimes and i'm and i'm going obviously i'm going back in my mind a few years to sort of old school Marco days where yeah, everything yeah. was like <laughs> this matriarch and it's like a bully and there's yeah. a lot of shouting mm. um did you witness any of that when you were growing up yeah uh i did again i definitely never saw the worst end of that stuff um some of the stories that you hear uh, like from other people and speaking to other chefs are like are really grim you know I, i've spoken to chef friends that have been like you know 
punched or headbutted or something really? in the kitchen. Like really, you know, real, like, I mean, abuse, like. So not like, verbal, it's physical. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Like, which is, which very, luckily I'd never encountered, um, you know, but you would see pans get thrown or bins get kicked and, you know, and, and a lot of shouting and belittling yeah. of people, which are like, you know, is awful and can be like, can be very damaging just because it's not physical. Like, you know, if someone's like screaming at someone, especially if there's this uh, hierarchy of, um, yeah, this, this hierarchy and it, they're screaming at someone sort of lower down that doesn't really have any power to respond and stuff uh, or, or even if they're not necessarily screaming at them, just making their life difficult and just pushing horrible tasks towards them, just kind of taking either some pleasure or um, or venting by like making someone else's life difficult. You know, you would you would see stuff like that. I'm really hopeful that the culinary world is a lot better than it was on that stuff. I mean, I've been out of those environments for a fair yeah. while now, so. Uh, but the impression that I get is that things are getting better and are broadly a lot better than they were, but that it's still not something that's been eradicated. So that is that is something I hope we will see completely eradicated. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of, you know, things progressing, progression, I can't speak, progressing uh, and getting better because when people think of a kitchen they do think of it as quite a male, heavy, dominated yeah. place. Mm. But obviously, we've spoken about Mary Ellen. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the big heavy hitters like Mary Ellen, Angela Hartnett, Claire yeah. Smythe. Yeah, but yeah. there's more. Is it, do you know, obviously, as you say, you've been out of that environment. Is it getting better? Why are we seeing, why are we seeing a, a larger ratio of, of men in this environment yeah i mean i do think it is getting better um i now looking at friends kitchens i see more women in the kitchens which i think is is great you know in in terms of obviously in terms of equality and stuff as well but i also think it's um you know it's just good not to have these testosterone fueled like male heavy environments like i don't think that's that that maybe doesn't even make for a good environment even if it's well managed (laughs) for it to just be all all blokes in this hot little room um i guess i mean i think there's there's still a lot of work to be done though in unpicking like you know decades and decades of it sort of the industry kind of reveling in this image of being like uh pressure driven and you know the sort of the cliches of like ramsey swearing at people on the you know that but again that that is that definitely is changing and has changed and and you are seeing really really talented women. i mean you always had really talented women in, in kitchens but it's nice to see like more and more women going into the industry um i think you know role models help as well with yeah. this stuff like you know can you see people in can you look at the the, the top people and and say oh yeah cool i want to be like this person that person's an inspiration to me and as we get more fantastic inspirational women coming through you've got you've got more of that you know that visual point that you can say that's what i want to do i can imagine a version of that career and um yeah so i mean again i, I hope that we see loads more of that although 
I think the industry as a whole is having real problems getting people in, you know, in the in the first place at the moment. Yeah, but I'm sure. That could be part of the opportunity for a reset on a lot of this yeah. stuff, you know. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, you know, from the outset, I don't, I'm not, I don't have enough knowledge, but from what I see, I, I would hope it's, you know, it continues to, to progress. Mm. I think it will. I mean, people are just so much more aware of, like the dining public so much more educated now than, than ever before. And, you know, everyone's got their cameras and their smartphones and stuff on them. It's, it's all, I think, and and just in terms of staff, like you want to, people, you know, if you want to keep your staff, like you have to treat them not horribly. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that's going to, hopefully that will have a lasting impact on how people, how people work. Now, where we are now with mm-hmm. your food and your menus, mm-hmm. and you say you're pushing out all, all these courses overnight, and, it, and it's a long night, let's make no bones about it. But yeah, you, about four hours. Yeah, but you're, con- and you, I mean, you have little breaks, but nothing major. You're not like waiting a long no, time. There's no, a, no. It's like there's always something coming along. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that every night, surely? No. So at the moment, what I do is I do four nights of the week, and I do that three weeks of the month and then I have a week off where I kind of reset and um you know that that week is not really a week off you're doing prep and you're making things like you're making the things that will sort of keep through the month so maybe that's chocolates or different infusions and cordials or distillations like making the the gin that I, I make yeah. here and stuff like that and um but that's quite so I mean it's it's a ton of hours anyway that you look at it but I'm in my own space and that week where you're not doing service is sort of, you know, you, you can completely dictate how you work, what hours you work, you know, how you, how you get the stuff done you want to do. And what, what that did for me is remove massive layers of stress that you would have in a kitchen typically. So it's, it's not, not without stress, but it's, uh, but comparatively, it's a different world completely you know it's it's just yeah game changer for me really do you think this is it for you now do you think this is the Mm. style and whether you stay here but you take this model forward somewhere Mm -hmm. else do you think this is it for you if you can't see yourself ever opening up i not not as things stand i mean like of course some like you know something could change in life and 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 your uh your needs and stuff could change but as a, as it stands, exactly what you're saying is what I think, which is is I would keep keep doing this, and the only change I would make to this is is maybe at some point, maybe I would look for a space that allowed me to uh, put one more table in or expand, well, not necessarily even expand actually, but just um, like I, I I think one day it'd be lovely to move just slightly further out into the countryside and have a bit more space to like. You know, I've got beehives in the garden. It'd be yeah, nice to yeah. have some more raised beds and stuff like that. But fundamentally to do the same thing, cooking on my own, um, you know, doing that same sort of tasting menu. Um, the other thing I would like to do at some stage is maybe scale up the gin. At the minute I have a license to distill it and so I can serve it to my guests, but not, you know, it's a lot of red tape to get to the point that you can sell it. And Now, you did mention there, Eddie, uh, the bees, Oh yeah. So yeah, how yeah. self-sufficient are you? And is that something that's going to grow? Uh, so I would be lying if I said I was self-sufficient <laughs> here. Like, unfortunately, I mean, partly the weather of the Northwest 
would um, makes that very challenging. But, <laughs> I, don't know, um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's looking pretty great out there today. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, no, I, it, things like that really more for me are about... So, so for instance, with honey, all the honey that I use on the menu is is from our bees. So that's, that's lovely. And uh, anything... You know, I like having elements that are grown here or and everything I can make in house is is made in in house. So again, the, the gin's a good example of that. Of yeah. sort of, you know, if you're going to that effort of distilling your own gin and then making your own tonic as the as the mixer for that, and that's just a little welcome drink. It sort of it gives a sense of that that that's the attitude throughout the rest of the the meal. Um, but yeah, I would always love to expand on that because I think it helps to give you a sense of a sense of place like you know that and and a and it's for me as much as for the meals it keeps me engaged and passionate about what I'm doing so if I'm working on a dish with honey in it like I think I'm definitely going to be more engaged with that and passionate about it when it's from our own bees and I've spent all year caring for them and it's you know how that ingredient's really important to me and kind of, and I feel connected to it. So yeah. I'm going to really, I'm going to want to work on something that feels really special and shares how special that is. And then even and when I'm chatting to the guests then as well, like that's one of the things that I want to communicate and I think keeps it, keeps it sort of l- legitimately you're sharing your, your passion. Like I am, when I'm chatting to people, I'm genuinely really, passionate about that stuff I'm yeah really i'm really excited yeah yeah, yeah. totally i'm I, that's exactly it i'm like i'm genuinely like oh, i'm thrilled to have this chance to talk to you about about my bees about the honey you know about like what i think is interesting and important about that stuff and um yeah that that's a that keeping that um yeah passion i think really yeah so that's that's where that's that well you know from. it's like anything you know when we're creative if the passion goes then we have yeah. to start asking some questions yeah yeah i mean like if i was just if i if, if everything was just stuff that i was ordering in and of course i have to order ingredients in but if it was just you know i've been in kitchens again where the food's been really good but if you know everything comes in through this this back entrance and you just see it you know kind of in its packaged form as it arrives and it gets turned into the dish that goes out and you you can still do great food that way, but for me, I definitely get something extra out of the experience of i mean also this is cooking's not just my vocation and career and stuff it really is the thing that I'm like passionate about and the lens that I sort of see the world through so if I travel somewhere, like a big part of how I engage with that place is going to be through food or maybe meeting other chefs or going to, you know and it, this change of the seasons a big part of how i experience that is uh okay this you know dandelions are starting to come out and i know i'm going to make this dandelion petal cordial and the start of spring for me is going out and you know foraging dandelions for that it's 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 sort of it's part of the rhythm of my days and weeks and seasons and stuff so it's i mean it all sounds beautifully romantic I think <laughs> when you put it like that I must admit. do you change uh seasonally then your menus or how often not really so what i tend to do is change like a dish or two 
at a time, but very, very gradually. So, ah, sort of, okay. So oh, you don't do a complete overhaul? No, no. It, even changing one dish on the menu basically sends me into... Oh, does it? <laughs> so, yeah. So it's... Um, I tend to think I will I will always be working on new stuff and then hopefully once it's ready it comes onto the the menu and there'll always be seasonal elements and there are there are seasonal changes but not like a an autumn menu and then a spring menu the and and some of the things that I'll make like the like that dandelion petal cordial I'll make that and then I'll make enough of that to last me through the year so it's a sort of seasonal job and a seasonal flavor but because I'm because I'm such so small scale, I can do something like that and then be like, great, that'll that will take me through till this next spring. And um, so in fact, we'll taste in a little bit these little dandelion petal fruit pastels, which I don't think you had last I don't time. Think so, um, but yeah, that's part of how I sort of engage with it and think about the year passing. And- how do you know when a dish is complete? Like, do because. It's one thing you taste in it. Do you have somebody else to come in and uh, trial it for you? Yeah, so I have... I'm not asking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome any time, yeah. Well, uh, uh, so my, my partner, Eve, um, she's uh, she's fantastic. At, she You know, she, she's not a chef. She doesn't work in, in food, but, um, but she is uh, a lovely combination of very honest and... Yeah. Um, but, but not... Um, not brutal so (laughs) i mean she will tell me if i'm working on something and you know sometimes you go over something and over something you can get to a point where you're like i'm sort of losing sight of like i no longer my judgment is getting weird on it you know and that's then it's really good to have someone else to say what do you think of is this getting better is it like is this is this a good idea should i should i abandon this or keep pushing it and so she'll always give me really useful feedback um and then there comes a point where you have to try something on the on the menu. And normally, so I will test test things a lot before they even get tried on the menu. So I, I really want to serve something at the point where I'm like, I don't think this can be improved on. I think it's as good as it's going to get. I think it's, you know, I think it's ready for people. But even then, there's certain things that you only learn by serving it a couple of times. Like what, what aspects of an idea people find interesting and engage with, you know, and, and what they don't. Like what's... Um, so that might not change the dish, but it might change how you talk to people about it and how, um, you know, maybe something that I think is really interesting is too chefy and niche, you know. So right. it's like it, there's no point telling people, oh, I've I've done this, this and this to it. How clever of me. You know, it's, <laughs> they, that might just not be interesting to people. And it's it's funny the things that you see that that chime and that will sort of alter how I how I choose to uh, dis- describe something to people and and then and sometimes there are then li- just little tweaks that you need to make but but normally by the time i serve stuff i've i've for most things i have uh service where service pieces that have been made specifically for a dish which is another reason it's quite slow to turn over new dishes yeah. is i'll i'll work on a dish and then perhaps like the the particular way that I want to serve it will then come together and I might have to get something made but like our our friend um Becky's incredible oh her ceramics, ceramics are amazing yeah. yeah well see she's a great example of this so the the distilled scotch bonnet chocolates that I serve at the end of the the meal yeah in these uh these black porcelain rings oh um, they're incredible they're so cool right like and, yeah and, and that that was one of my favorite like examples of working on something because i was speaking to her and i i had some 
vague ideas, but not really. And then and we were chatting and she just she she came up with this idea of this porcelain ring oh, which lives yeah with this sort of negative space in the middle of it and gave me one of these as a sort of prototype to to play about with and so while she was working on making the next sort of the, the batch of them i was working on the dish and figuring out how how that was going to fit into there and how i'd serve it and she had this really nice like parallel creative experience of both working on this thing which is like is love i love when stuff like that happens because yeah. it's again it's really re-energizing and you you end up with something like quite unique and and yeah someone like someone like becky's amazing and such a collaborative partnership though because yeah. you didn't you kind of you didn't really know you know what you wanted but you, then she went well, what about this and it's like you, yeah. then, then this piece comes together we've got we must take a a photo so people can yes. understand because it's yeah, quite we'll hard to explain yeah, yeah, yeah. what it is <laughs> yes <laughs> um that 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 becky did um just going back mm. before when you were talking about explaining the dishes and yeah uh, how things uh were cooked that's the one thing you don't come across you never come across as cocky or self-congratulatory oh, <laughs> it's what we spoke about before you come across excited and with such oh, passion hey. and you really just I really hope you enjoy it, type of thing. And it's yeah. such a joy. And I think I remember looking at around the dining room and everybody just had a big old smile on their face. Oh, that, was, that was before they started eating. Yeah, yeah. So look, speaking of food, mm. I think we should um, start having a look. Let's, let's do it. Okay, well, I'll do some videos. <laughs> so, Eddie, we are back. We've been very polite with the audience. And we don't have to witness us chomping and slurping but let's just have a quick talk about mm. what we've just eaten because it was <laughs> incredibly delicious oh thank you um so we've had we had the uh dandelion petal fruit pastels that so we spoke a bit about the yeah. dandelion petal infusion before and this is just a nice little thing to sort of to to welcome people into the meal it's the first edible thing they get alongside the um the it gin really and sort of wakes up the mouth because mm. there's that initial sweetness yeah and then when you start bite into the, this soft yellow mm. ball there's a nice bit of sourness as well yeah. so it's just waking the palate up it's gorgeous yeah it, it it part part of that idea is this sort of physical sort of waking up your palate and refreshing sort of uh nature of it and then also the sort of the mental side of that like you know getting people sort of primed for what else is going to come and kind of getting them into the the feel of the the menu and the rest of the meal but it's like what we were talking about before that things like that at the start really set the tone of what yeah. the the sort of you know without being wanky the sort of the, the journey of the yeah. night of what, what's what's going to happen yeah yeah and then um and i've i've will uh people listening will see photos and videos uh of the lovely little bowl of deliciousness that oh, we just had so yeah. just explain to me yeah, uh, uh, that lovely. I don't. I'm going to call it a soup because when I think of soup, <laughs> I just think of a, a tin of Heinz chicken soup when you're ill. Sure, but no, that that's this is another level. So we had um, a roasted pumpkin soup, but it's it's made with this pine needle stock and uh, then finished with a pine needle oil. So you get this sort of quite quite subtle uh, sort of more the aromas rather than the flavors of pine through that, just like. The idea is it's sort of just conjuring a little hint of the idea of a pine forest, and then and then the soup gets finished with this uh, whipped cream that's smoked over burning pine branches. So you get a nice 
you get a smokiness, a bit more pine flavor. I freeze that in liquid nitrogen and then and sprinkle it over the soup at the table. So the guests get this visual kind of liquid nitrogen steam coming off the um, off the soup. Hopefully that's kind of I get this starts to sound pretentious, but kind of mirroring the sort of the, the flavor of the smoke in the in the cream. So you get a kind of sort of visual cue to some of the flavors in there. But but even even if that it sort of doesn't transpire, you've got um you've got this nice smoke flavor and this temperature contrast. And uh that that pine sensation also that kick of the black pepper is really oh, yeah. <laughs> creeps in on you because it only yeah. came to me about sort of Six spoons in. Yeah, yeah. I could eat that all day long. Now, <laughs> before before we were talking about uh, your collaboration with uh, Becky, the ceramicist, Becky Morris, but the, yes. the, 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 these, these circular discs. Mm. And just before we sign off and eat one, much to the uh, jealousy <laughs> of all the listeners, just explain to me what is in is in there. Yeah, so it's it's kind of it's a cool thing to end on because it's the last thing I would give my guests as well at the end of the menu, and uh, it's it's this little chocolate truffle. Um, it's made with uh, flavored with distilled Scotch bonnet chilies, though. So I I take a kilo of fresh Scotch bonnet chilies and blend that into five hundred mil of alcohol. So we're we're talking about a really intensely chilly <laughs> mixture, and then using the the vacuum distiller that we sort of touched on a little before, I I distill that mixture, but because of the way the vacuum distiller works, I can distill it at low temperature. So I, I can distill that mix without ever heating it up. So I keep all the freshness of the aromas of the chilies, all the sort of the vibrancy and the delicate freshness of the chilies that you'd, you'd get if you were just cutting into a fresh chili. Mm. So all those aromas stay intact, but capsation that makes chilies spicy is too heavy to distill. So all the spice stays on one side of the still and all the beautiful aromatics travel to the other side. And I, I end up with this kind of edible perfume of chilies with the with all the aromas, all the all the sort of beautiful, delicate aromatics of chilies, but with no spice, no no heat to it at all. And then I, I flavor these chocolate truffles with that. I, I use a really nice uh double fermented chocolate. Uh, from Valrona, it's it's fermented with passion fruit pulp as part of the process of making it as well, which again is slightly unusual, very 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 delicious chocolate. Um, and then on either side of that, we've got these uh, sort of dried, crisp sheets of fermented passion fruit juice. And I get my guests to kind of pick this up out of this this beautiful uh, ceramic uh, cylinder that um, that Becky's made and, and eat it with their fingers, and it's. It's a little, you know, really it's just a one bite thing, but hopefully hopefully it's a really unique, interesting end to the meal. And yeah. Well, it's a unique and interesting end to this podcast. Eddie Shepherd, you had me at double fermented. Thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. Let's dive into this Excellent. Let's do it. Thank Thanks you. so much, mate. Cheers. And another episode is done. How lovely was that? He's such a nice guy to sit down and talk to. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, go check out Eddie's Instagram feed uh, and look at all his fabulous creations. Uh, And if you're in the north, or if you're not, if you're planning on coming, see if you can get a a table 
he's not sponsoring the podcast. He doesn't need it. He's, he's booked up to the hill. He doesn't need me shouting him out. Um, but it really is. It really is a special, a special meal um, from a lovely man. So thank you so much for downloading and subscribing and being here. Uh, same time next week. Okay, great. In the meantime, if you would like to give us a review on Apple, you do that. That would be really nice. Uh, drop us an email, twoshotpod at gmail.com. Sling us a message over on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Say hello. Say hello to other people. That's always nice. We've got a lovely community of uh, kind and considerate people who do tend to talk about the episodes, which is great. And sometimes me and Griff jump on and say hello. So that would be lovely. Uh, anything else? I don't think so. Well, look. You take care of yourself, have a lovely, lovely week, and I'll see you next Thursday. Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast, season nine. Season nine, I've got to keep reminding myself. You take care. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.